0: Wake up and press play for an episode of Don't Sleep On Them, putting upcoming artists on your radar before they hit the charts. I'm your host, Anastasia Arrell, on KPC Radio, welcoming all listeners who are interested in learning more about their soon-to-be favorite artists and their journeys, as well as the steps they take to get where they want to be. On today's episode, from Boring Oregon, singer and songwriter who writes music about embracing our inner Joes, Janes, and Jamies, please welcome Keith Getchell.
1: Yay! Thank you.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, So I want to start off by I was reading your about page, and it mentioned the Portland Three Step was the first song you've written in 21 years, I believe, and the description of that process really, really struck me. I wanted you to take me back to that moment and just tell me what it was like for you.
1: Well, that that, uh, okay. So this whole thing in a way is all one song. And so it started out, uh, I guess we'd call that the first rendition of the song and that that was done in 2018 and recorded, but that started a long time ago because I was just a bored guy on a train going to going to school, the Portland State University. It's funny to hear you say that I was, I'm from Boring, Oregon. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of weird to <laughs> hear someone else say that. I live in a happy valley now, but uh, I was born in Portland, raised in Boring. But yeah, so I would just uh, take the train uh, across the Willamette River every day. It was very bored. And I said, I want to write a song. So I just started putting the lyrics down. And it's like I said, it's been about 22 years, I think, that I was working on this thing. So, and I don't really consider myself that much of a talent. And so the, The very first lyrics I put together, I think I I thought I was trying to mimic something that Sting might've done. And then I submitted it to the music department at Portland State and they were kind of like, what they said is we don't have the words to describe our feelings about this lyrics. I could tell they really didn't like it too much but um, I'm kind of a stubborn guy, and so I didn't work on it for 22 years straight, of course, but I would kind of put it away and bring it back out every once in a while. And it's just kind of a, a, a collaboration of all the people I've known along the way, just uh, uh, getting opinions and going to the Songwriters Club, having people listen to it and critique it, changing it. Um, pulling it out a year later, listening to it again. And you can always, when you do that, you can kind of hear all the little chinks in it that you don't really like too much. And it's easier to figure out what needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. So, But yeah, so the first thing was, was really kind of an homage to Portland. Somebody told me that they thought this was kind of more of a novelty song. I'm not really quite sure if I wanted a novelty song. So I took the Portland part out if anyone goes onto the Spotify thing and listens listens to the Portland three-step, they can see how simply I changed it from that to just Send Your River. And so, and then that was recorded um, last year. I it was about June or July of last year. And then I did another rendition of it called the, the Send Your River Redux um, in um, like November, December of last year. So, yeah. And this, I'm 60 years old, and this is kind of a bucket list thing, so I don't know if I'm ever going to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> Just, so I might—I have other things that I want to do, too, like write books and write overtures and stuff like that, so um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what I feel like after I get this thing out there. So.
0: How long has it been on your bucket list?
1: Oh well, probably about twenty-two years. I guess I shouldn't have been having—I shouldn't be having a something on my bucket list for twenty-two years, though. That's supposed to happen when you're about sixty. So I <laughs> think I started too early. <laughs>
0: right. Um, so you—you you, again. You said that you wrote the song on the train. What made you want to write that song? Was it the train ride? Was it how boring it was? What what made you do that?
1: Well. um, well, part of it was boredom, um, but on the other hand, I really like I really like Portland a lot. So, I uh, um, if you read the about page, you probably saw that I went into the Navy for a while, mm-hmm. um, did lots of growing up in the Navy, had a lot of train wrecks in the Navy, um, but uh, so I I always felt like I wanted to come back to Portland I did spend some years in Seattle as well about 10 years up there, but I always felt Portland was my hometown I was born in Portland. So, um, was kind of loyal to the city. And um, it was kind of a, it's kind of the, the first I've actually done some other songs about Portland which were pretty cheesy. And so they're out there in some places. You might find them. I don't want you really to find them at all, though. (laughs) I would rather just have people not find those things. But um, just getting away from the novelty song, and uh, it was kind of an interesting process when I was thinking about it being about Portland. I did work on other parts of the lyrics, and they actually became pretty good. And it seemed like the last important ingredient was actually taking the name of Portland out of the song. And that's actually what made it feel much better, was just kind of making it, then it became more about the protagonist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I think it was a much better song when I did that.
0: Can you take me through those three songs story? Like, what is it? What is it supposed to tell?
1: Well, um, yeah, so I... I, I grew up in a Baptist family um, out in the town of Boring. That's pretty rural. It's a rural town out there. Small church in a nearby town of Gresham, and um, when you're going through adolescence in a, a rural town, uh, pretty uh conservative, you just don't have any idea who you are um, if you're a gay person. I was gay. I am gay. So I didn't I didn't become anything different later on. So I, I was gay and when you're going through adolescence and you just don't have any idea what that means because that's just not talked about in a kind of a religious family out in the country, especially back then, um it was a struggle and so um i had it in my head that you know i just felt so lonely and i never got to know what romance or or love or sex or anything like that was when when i was going through adolescence and so by the time i finally figured myself out at age 21 in the navy it it, um yeah, some of the damage was done. But on the other hand, though, that was also a point when I could start to heal. So, and but that took many, many years. So, and um, so I feel like I, I love myself pretty much right now. Um, I did, I, I consider myself a Buddhist now. I actually joined a men's Buddhist community for a few years and shaved off my head and did that kind of thing, but it was really good for me my mother, you know, she's very religious, but she saw me do a transformation going into that religion. And she said it was probably the best thing that I ever did for myself. So it was, it was a happy ending. Yeah. Did,
0: do you show that, I guess, religious transition in the songs?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I guess it could be in there, but when I think about it, um, the the. the Buddhism kind of helped me heal because it was, it was kind of logical and a healthy way to think for me, but I think that we're all trying to achieve that healthy way of thinking as we go through life, mm-hmm. and it's kind of, for a lot of us, it's kind of a struggle, obviously, when you're younger and you know less about yourself, you know less about the world, you have less information, it's a little bit more confusing. And it's just kind of nature for us to kind of grow up and and kind of come up with lots of answers about life. And that's not necessarily a Buddhist thing. So I think that um, the song just kind of, just kind of, it's a step-by-step ballad about, you know, starting out very as a very dysfunctional person, you know, making some realizations. I was very lonely as a young person had lots of broken hearts. Um, found a lot out, a lot about human nature and about myself. And then at the end, I'm kind of thinking, "Oh, you know, home is not so bad after all. I have some really good people back there." And that's where, well, it's kind of like um, I kind of say that maybe this is something that Judy Garland would have sung at the end of. Uh, of um over the rainbow you know she would have woken up in the bed and said oh i'm back here this is where i should have been all along and so that's kind of what the song is about it's just coming back home and um finding out that uh that there are some more healthy sources of of love in the world
0: yeah it really portrays a lot of self-expression so where i'm where i was really interested in was the generalization that you made the joes the Janes, the jamie's can you explain what that plays a part in
1: well you know i, I think i said something like um you know just when when we're, we're some of us go through life feeling so judged and uh i mean there's just tons of judgment in this world. That's what human beings are really good at doing is judging each other. And it's kind of our mission to kind of like figure out what, where where is the truth and where are the lies. And so I said, you know, that what makes a, a, a human being worthy? And really when you think about it, about the only, the, the one thing that makes a human being worthy is that you're alive, right? That's what gives us value. Um, Of course, we value the memories of people that we've known in our lives, but human beings just are not empowered to judge each other and tell another person whether they have value or not. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that we're here together living where we have a beating heart and therefore that's what gives you value. That's what gives you perfection. And um, and when I say Joe's James and Jamie's, that was because I was just talking about. I just felt that I was a regular Joe after all in the military, and so at the end I kind of said, "If you're a Joe or a Jane or a Jamie, which could be could be a woman or a man or it could be somewhere in between, you're still perfect as long as you have a beating heart." So. Yeah,
0: I think that I we. Re- re- at least I, I saw the universal appreciation of human beings and humanity in your music. I was wondering how you would describe the style of the songs. Is it RB? Is it soulful? How would you describe that?
1: I was just what I was having that conversation with myself this morning. I was doing a, a, a playlist of soul songs this morning. And I was thinking, wow, maybe my song is more soul than it is RB. I submitted it as R B, mm-hmm. but um, I am not uh, an expert on music. And so I'm not sure if I'm one to say what is R&B and what is soul. I think it could fit into either category. Um, It's a a fairly, um, it's not a complicated instrumentation or arrangement of the song. That's what I really appreciate about the producer that did it, his name is Ryan Stockbridge. Um, he's the one that did the latest rendition. It's it's very, um, it's kind of almost carnal. It has a lot of drums, a lot of feelings, has a beautiful voice of that, that, that singer that I cannot reveal her name. I think you saw that in the about section as well, which I just breaks my heart that I don't get to say who it is. But. Um, but the way he did the really sparse arrangement, it really brings her voice out. And then it's, like I said, the carnal part comes with the fact that he's just, you know, really hitting those drums um, throughout the, the, the arrangement, so.
0: And with all of those instruments, are you trying to not, I, I mean, are you, are you trying to express your story or are you trying to express like a universal comfort of humanity? What are you trying to express
1: with it? That's a good question, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a ballad. Each one of those pieces, each verse could easily describe very specific things about my life. But um, it's not specific enough that a lot of people could um, uh, extract a lot of other meanings. And that's kind of what art probably is. It's um, You know, the artist is always going to create something. But the real meaning of it is going to be in how the, the the viewer or the witness, you know, how they interpret it. That's where the really real meaning is going to come out. Maybe it almost doesn't matter what I meant it to be. Um, so it's going to be more what the, the listener hears and, and what meaning they find. So,
0: Is there anyone that doesn't know your, the story behind the song that tried to interpret it?
1: So did anybody give me their interpretation of the song? And, and maybe I didn't think inside that it was quite the right interpretation. Something <laughs> like that, yeah, no. Oh, no, yeah. I kind of don't really care what people, um, how they interpret it um, because it almost doesn't matter. My, I mean, it matters to me because it's my personal relationship with the song. I've kind of got it out of my system. But um, when somebody else listens to it, it just doesn't matter if it's different than mine. you know, what the, the meaning is generated by how they feel. So so I'm I mean, gonna I give them permission to feel whatever they want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, I just wanted to backtrack to the process of making the songs. Um, how was it finding the person we can't say the name of and integrating all of those instruments? How was that process with you?
1: Well, it's like I said, I'm not a, a I'm not, I mean, I do have a music background. So I competed in music in high school, um, played clarinet and uh, was very involved. I was kind of geeky. I was a geeky guy, I had a geeky hair, a geeky face. And so I, I was in high school, had a great time doing the music program. So I learned a little bit about that, did some music theory. Um, In the Navy, I actually learned a little bit more when I started to write an overture. It's a classical overture. That's the next thing that I need to get done is my (laughs) classical overture. So, but that's still sitting in in the books in my closet. And so, but other than that, I don't, I'm not very much of an expert on music arrangement. So I really did have to recruit people. And um, going to, you know, clubs like the Songwriters Club you go there, you play it. You have people that have been doing it for years that give you their opinions. Sometimes you can get them to kind of help you do an arrangement. So you just kind of pick up, pick up all these bits and pieces over 22 years and you finally get it to a place where it's just, uh, it could not be what it is now unless I had had all those people helping me. Mm-hmm. Towards the end, I did recruit some production companies. So I had one do the Portland Three-Step I had one do the first rendition of Send Your River. And then I had a production company, the Sundown Sessions Studio. They're the ones that did the, um, actually they did the, the one beforehand, the Send Your River. And then the latest one was done by, um, well, it's, the, the company is called Itty Giddy. And then they uh, arranged to, they kind of had me meet this guy named Ryan Stockbridge and he did a really great um, um, uh, arrangement. But you know, it's just lots of discussion. He Ryan Stockbridge heard it. Luckily, Sundown Sessions did everything as tracks, uh, so we could just kind of pull out the vocal, and then Ryan Stockbridge could do his own version using the vocal from the previous version. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then I recruited the singer too. So I, I I found her and paid her to do that rendition, and she just did a great job. I just love her voice.
0: Recruiting them, was it hard finding them or getting them on board?
1: Well, one thing I found, um, or you know, one thing I've, I've learned from just talking to other people who go through this process and I'm just such a little tiny novice. I mean, I've met some people that have been doing this for years, is that that's just kind of the, the life of hard knocks going, being a songwriter, is that you're going to recruit lots of people Sometimes you think they might be able to help you. Sometimes they kind of do. Sometimes they don't. (laughs) And it's kind of an opinion about whether you think they did a great job for you or not. But yes, you you have some home runs sometimes. And then other times you don't have home runs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people that you ask to help you know a lot about what they're doing. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have good intentions. Sometimes they don't. And that's just kind of kind of the same thing as life, right? So we all kind of go through, and we just do the best we can, and see and figure out where we can turn to for help. Yeah.
0: Um. You did say in your about page that you are married and that you do have a family.
1: No, I am single. Oh. I am a partner i am a partner
0: <laughs> <laughs> i apologize um have they been super if supportive thought,
1: of this what is, if what is thought that? i said that he was my spouse he would be so mad at me <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry <about> that. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. um
0: how has he been with the process of the songwriting has he
1: very supportive yeah yeah if, in fact if you um Look on—you can see the cover art um, on Spotify. He did that cover art, so his name is Steven. So he just he did a great job with that. There's two different versions of that cover art. Um, one has a guy, and one has a woman. And so we did—just um, decided to change it up a little bit for the Redux, mm-hmm. the, the last version. So yeah, he's been very supportive, but he's an artist, so and he's been doing art a lot longer than I've been writing a song. So he really, he's great at the art that he does. So I just love what he does.
0: Did he know what the artwork, what did he know what kind of artwork he wanted to do for the songs or was that a spontaneous thing?
1: I kind of let him choose. The only one, the only time I ever really influenced him is that he um, came up with the rendition, with the version of the cover art for Send Your River. And then, when we decided to do Send Your River Redux, I said, let's not change it up too much. This is kind of change it a little bit. And so he changed it to a man to a woman, but um, the style is very similar. So um, I guess I did influence him on that third one. But um, the, the Send Your River cover art was completely his idea. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And what convinced you to keep it as this
1: for the song? The cover art mm-hmm. um well it uh it kind of the if the the, the one that was done for send your river it kind of depicts a guy that's kind of all bundled up um this kind of has a blue background it kind of looks like he could be sitting on a riverbank and he's in contemplation so you can tell he's kind of lost in memory he's been thinking about his life and uh and then when we put the woman in there, it's kind of the same kind of format. And so she kind of looks like she's in contemplation also. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then I have a music video coming out here pretty soon. So hopefully that's going to be, I'm like really excited about that one too. So that's going to come out in a few days, I think about four days, something like that. So.
0: Exciting, yeah.
1: <laughs> so that's that was hand-done art. So I'm going to be really, I'm kind of nervous. To see how that turns out. So,
0: I'm going to be looking out for that definitely.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: Um. Again, I also wanted to backtrack. You mentioned that you were in the Navy. Was there any part of that experience that was put into the songs?
1: Uh probably just uh, you know my my intimate relationship with alcohol and sex. Yes. Oh man, I was uh, out of control. Um, I um, yeah. I, I when I got out of boot camp. So I went into the Navy in 1979, and I was still trying to be a straight guy. And so and, and in uh, 1979, I went in, went into boot camp. They found out how pristine I was, this Baptist kid. And the first, their first mission was to corrupt me. So they took me to a, 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 a strip joint, and they gave me cigarettes and alcohol, and I loved it. And so, um, and then I was just off to the races for the next few years, I I just drank and drank and drank. And so sometimes it was funny and sometimes it was really sad. So I just did lots of really stupid things and lots of laughs, but just definitely not a way to live. And so, but that was yeah. I mean, I, I can still remember going to places around the world where I should have been enjoying the culture. Instead, I would go to the nearest bar and drink. So I missed a lot. And is
0: that where you said Buddhism also helped you heal? Or is that on your own?
1: Yeah, Buddhism. Well, that you know helped me get some important lessons about how not to be, um, what it was to be dysfunctional. I learned a lot about what it was to be dysfunctional. But When about 1990, I moved up to Seattle, and um, I was still trying to be a good Christian boy, and it just wasn't um, connecting with me. And so somebody just suggested Eastern religions. And so I just started checking out, well, actually I checked out everything, not just Eastern religions. I looked at, I read the macrophilia section for every single major religion in the world in the encyclopedia. And, But I finally got hooked up with an organization up in Seattle, and I I really liked what I heard. And it turned out that they were looking for another person to live in their men's Buddhist community, and we ran the Buddhist Center. And so it's like five guys, not perfect. All of us were very dysfunctional, but we were trying really hard. We had our cat. (laughs) <laughs> and I, she would leave her uh, hairball on the buddhist altar every once in a while and the order member there would get really mad at me because my cat would do that and so um but we just lost some meditation and and just contemplation and thinking about the you know what's a healthy mind what is a healthy mind like mm-hmm. and um, how does it function and um it created lots of awareness. I think that's the biggest thing about trying to become functional rather than dysfunctional is being able to watch your own mind, mm-hmm. see how it, uh, how it reacts to the world.
0: If you were able to have a conversation with your eight-year-old self, do you think you would believe where you are now?
1: Well, yeah, I think I would because when I'm eight years old, and you're growing up in a loving family, um, you're pretty optimistic about the world. It was very safe. The the part that might not believe in where I am right now would be the one that was like 19 or 20 years old. Mm -hmm. That one felt pretty hopeless. As an eight-year-old, I felt pretty hopeful because I fit in, because I just didn't think about what it was to be straight or gay. And at 21, I was thinking, "Who am I? I? I just don't fit into this world." I didn't find out I was—I didn't figure out that I was gay until I was 21.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, and that's because I met someone in the Navy. He wasn't my boyfriend, but he was a gay guy that just kind of helped me um, kind of figure myself out. Unfortunately, he was also an alcoholic, so. That wasn't the healthy part of it but he did help me learn about myself mm-hmm. so yeah so i guess i i i was very optimistic when i was a boy a little tiny boy so
0: yeah
1: which i had my hopes dashed
0: <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned that this music is sort of a bucket list so if you've scratched it off are you not going to continue or would you want to continue doing it
1: oh well, um I guess when you uh, bucket lists are partly because you want to find out what it's like to do something in your life. You know, we all go through life wanting to see what things are like. And so the intention is to just do it. But um, I suppose if we do something and we really enjoy it, then we might try and do it again that's not, that wasn't my intention to write more songs, but um, in the end, I might try it again, but like I said, I have other things on my bucket list, (laughs) you know, I I started a symphonic overture in the Navy, that's got to get done, I started writing a book when I was a kid, a science fiction, I got to get that done, so I, I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe for I have. Maybe I can live till age a hundred and get all this stuff done. I don't know. So we'll see.
0: Right. All right. Thank you so much for meeting with me today, and thank you to okay. everyone who woke up and joined our show. Don't sleep on them. I am your host Anastasia Arrell with KPC Radio. Try not to hit snooze for next week's episode. And until then, good night.